What's up, everybody, and welcome to another boardroom out of office podcast. This is number 50, which means we are at the end of season one. And with me, as always, like I have said 49 other times, my man Gianni Harrell. Gianni, was good? I think it's 48, I think, or 47. You may have done a few without me, particularly the KD one. Shaking my head. Oh, man, you're right, you're right. But 50 out of offices, and this is your show, but you're right. Don't take it personally. We did do two or three without you, but just because, to me, you're so hot in these streets, man, we have to make sure that people only get it in certain doses, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nah, I feel that. I feel that 100%. So no guests today, man. No guests. Just you and I riffing off the top of the head. That's how we do. That is how we do. 50 weeks. I was trying to think about how long we've been doing it for, and then I realized we've been doing it for 50 weeks. It wasn't just like a, a season or like a gimmick. We really just did 50 straight weeks of pods. I remember like the first one. I really didn't have any idea what we were doing. No idea. No idea. And I regret that we came out the box swinging with Jack Dorsey because I was like asking him insane questions like I was an interviewer or like I was trying to be a host of a show when we really just did this to be ourselves. Facts. I mean, I'm still embarrassed. I asked Jack who his favorite celebrity crush is. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Oh my god, yo, that's so cliche. Like, I know. You hit him with the And and like I, me, I'm try like I remember me thinking like, oh Jack is coming on, I've gotta be so grandiose and think about the future of tech. <laughs> <laughs> the future of tech. What would we be doing asking Jack Dorsey about the future of tech, man? That's not what this was. But it was fire that we got Jack, and we got fire-ass guests all season. Very fortunate. A lot of guests that I straight got game from. Um, a lot of guests that I definitely was inspired by, like Bozema had me ready to like run through a brick wall. Um, and like, man, we talked to David Solomon. I, my, I've always known Doc Rivers, but since the pod... Like, me and Doc kept up a cool relationship. Obviously, having Mark Jackson on was, like, some bucket list shit. No one, no one else really understood the magnitude of what it was for me to have Mark Jackson on my pod. If you grew up with me in New York City, um, I was obsessed with this dude. Uh, he was a rookie of the year, all-star, and I was 13, 14 at that time. So, I got OD obsessed, and then it was just wild to have him on the show. And then, obviously, speaking of Mark Ronson and going through his career. And I got a lot of great response from my conversation with Mark. Um, and just, just because of the history the two of us had. And then obviously last week or two weeks ago, speaking to KD. And the thing with the conversation with Kevin, very much like our conversation today, is I think the future of audio and the future of our show has got to be free-flowing conversation. I mean, people really can spot scripted and manufactured and it's got to be perfect if yeah. you're going to script something and if not and people are going to buy into what you're doing let them buy into who you really are and this is what we do that's why we called it this show out of office because we mean you go get a drink after work or whatever this is what we do straight authentic straight from the gut straight from the gut so that's a weird expression i just said i know i never even heard <laughs> that shit. but let me ask you Okay, who's your favorite guest we interviewed? I mean, I think I think favorite guest, like, just because of the symbolism, 
was Mark Jackson, just because it may not have been necessarily like my best interview, right? But there was an emotional like nostalgia to that. I'll tell you one of the biggest benefits of this podcast, actually, right? So now we'll switch gears a bit. My mother has listened to every single pod, right? And um, my mom and I have like a difficult relationship. That's a very safe, easy way of saying it. And she'll be listening. But we have a very deep emotional connection. We always will. Um, and that's not just mom's son. Like we went through it together. And when you go through it together and you go through it with your mom and, you know, one thing is, is when you have a mom who is there for you no matter what, even if not perfect, that's valuable. And you learn that when you get older and, and, and later in your life. But the cool thing I will say is with a challenging relationship and family always is distance and time. And sometimes as you, you get older, things that you could never do when you were younger, like take a real break from communicating with your own family is real life. You know, it sounds stupid because like, what are you doing not talking to someone in your family? But you have to think about your own happiness and decisions you make, and that's in anything, in business, in life, because at least for us, and we talk about this, Jeet, here as a company, and it starts with KD, is that if the energy ain't good, we're, we're keeping it moving, period. There's no dollar amount. There's no stakes that are worth being in a relationship that you know makes one person unhappy, and I think in the sake of family, case of family sometimes, both people can recognize like, yo, this is not healthy right now, but it never takes away from the depths and connection that you have with a mother, especially. And the pod has been incredible because my mom, from all this time that we haven't spoken and um, and that we don't have the chance to speak about the depths of each one of our lives and thought processes, she got to hear me in my podcast. That's awesome. No, it's been real. It's pretty cool. She also told me after a few episodes that I cursed too much, like straight up left me a message that was like, it's ridiculous. You curse after every word. It's disgusting. Like, it's embarrassing. That's not who you are. And at first I was about to like just delete it and be like, and I was like, you know what? She's probably right because a mother can only hear and be able to say something so brutally honest. I guess your wife too, but. Jana told me she doesn't listen to my pod. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so like that, that experience has been pretty cool. But a lot has changed in the world since we started this. Like the pandemic last August when we did the pod was still like we were in it. The whole world was in it. You know what I mean? And looking at the world now and how much has changed, it's just it's outrageous to think that a year ago, we really thought we would never get back to real life. Like people would be like, yo, I'm never giving a high five again. Yeah. <laughs> and then all these precautions and like, we didn't know when, when large venues would be back. They were saying like early 2022, <laughs> like the projections were just bananas. Bananas, man. And now it's like, what? COVID what? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, yeah, I think but that's the other thing is I think in our world, you know, it is COVID what I think to a lot of people around the world, um, it's unfortunately still rampant, but it's just showcased and put completely on front street, just the discrepancies around the world, like in every single way and form, because you're right. Like I don't even have a mask, bro. I don't have a mask. Nobody that I 
deal with on a day-to-day basis talks about it like majority of people that I at least deal with are vaccinated I feel like it's an optimistic time it is well I think it's an optimistic time and I think we are so conditioned now as a society that like you hear something that would have been so petrifying a year ago on the news delta variant what's going on around the world we took our troops out of afghanistan you know like does the taliban take control (laughs) like seriously like they're scared i'm just saying like a year and a half ago people would have been like yo taliban it's all coming back terrorism but the thing is is all this stuff is real still but everything has been put out there and we are numb in some ways as a society to some of this like what was once petrifying news and i think that there's going to be more pandemics. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, Ebola, SARS in the last like 10 years, Ebola was, uh, Ebola should have had us all freaking out. Facts. But we were so like, we didn't, be- we didn't believe anything back then. We were like, nah, stop. We're America. <laughs> you know, it was like, that's really like, I remember sitting at a friend's house once and they were ready to pack up for Ebola. I'm like, you sound insane. <laughs> like, you, I thought that person was crazy. I was like, that's the movies. That's Mutabi. That's Outbreak. Yeah. Speaking about this optimistic time, what do you think about these billionaires in space? Bro, I love these billionaires in space. Me too. Now, listen, I understand, like, there's some public conversation about, like, why are taxpayers' money going there? I don't believe they are. This is being funded by them. Then it's, well, why don't they spend this on the issues that are important in the world? And I think, and I'm hoping, at least from what I have seen when I was in Silicon Valley, these people do donate a ton and innovate, not just donate. But I saw, and I didn't read the article because I'm a big headline guy, as I know, (laughs) as you know, (laughs) that some scientists have actually started talking about and other professors, et cetera, that there's actually a lot of benefit to our society by these billionaires spending this money to go to space in terms of the innovation and technology that they're doing in lieu of our taxpayers' dollars going to it for government having Mm -hmm. to research this stuff. And then obviously, like, just the, like, adventurous side of my brain, I'm like, man, this shit is crazy. It's amazing. Like, beside any of the taxpayer loopholes that rich people always have gone through from the beginning of time as you said you've donated you've worked so hard your entire life and now you've reached this level of success you should be able to do what you if you want to go to space you build your own space station you go to space that's it you should like all these critics stop it if if you if you are critical of this you should work harder I think, well, I, I think if you're critical of this, you're worrying about the wrong things, period. Yeah. Because. And, um, and then the critics, they say they could be donating all this time and money to, I don't know, deforestation or other like climate change. And it's like, they probably do that as well. Yeah. And I think that's part of what this headline, I, I think, I really should read deeper, it was implying was that there's innovations and research that's being done on these journeys that will help us with things like etc climate change what have we i don't know what that is but 
from the entertainment side, the idea that Richard Branson said that he envisioned this like three airplane structure flying up into the air, detaching the middle one when he was a kid, like let this young curious, I mean, whatever, old curious dude now who's been <laughs> trying to do this thing forever, get this thing off the ground. I thought that was amazing. Um, and then I guess Elon Musk is going, Jeff Bezos is going, right? Yeah. I mean, but like, if you don't go first, you just go into space. Then. Right. And then like, you know, respect if you like space. I'm scared of shit of space, but if you like space, then now you got a chance to go. Yeah. Why are you scared of space? Because there's no air. What do you mean? Like, I just think that so many things could go. I'm just scared of not coming back to Earth. No, I mean, it is scary, but yeah. it's not space in particular. I mean, also, slight fear of, like, takeoff on an airplane, like, heights in general. So you think a rocket I'm, could like, be a little scary? Like, a rocket will just be like, I'll go catatonic. <laughs> I think the way Jeff Bezos will probably evolve this, this is my prediction, is the images from Richard Branson's flight that we saw were not incredible. At least I haven't seen them from yeah. a public standpoint. So, like, if Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos go up and now we're, like, straight up seeing Earth, like, out of the movies but from their camera and, like, we didn't... I saw a little bit of them flying around the spaceship. I didn't see Richard Branson, like, dipping and diving in the gravity chamber or whatever. And me, I might be pessimistic about this, but, like... Sure, there's probably like some spiritual, like momentous moment seeing how small you are in comparison to the rest of the world. But for some reason, I'm like, mm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just good here on land and water. No, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I mean, listen, the truth is, I probably would go on this space trip. Like, maybe if they invited you, you would go. I would go if they invited me for sure. But if I, when it becomes, and I think there's already like a line, I think it's like $250,000. I don't want to go that bad. Um, <laughs> but I would wait till the price comes down and like mad people have gone and then go. But I also say the same thing about skydiving when I think it comes down to it, I would never actually do it. But I think that if I was, I always say this about skydiving, if I was in a car, and like somehow or another, someone was like, this would be the perfect scenario, by the way. Someone was like, yo, I know it's last minute, but my boy from the Blue Angels Navy midshipman has the safest possible yeah. <laughs> skydiving experience. We got to go right now, though. I would go and do it. Right. Um, but I think if I planned it and talked about it, I'd be like, I'd bug out. And what's fire is about this scenario is like 100 years ago, skydiving was like taboo, only few people did it and now like you know most not most people but people can do it on you go to a certain place certain vacation our grandkids they're gonna be like mm, space let's go yep that's kind of cool though you know what it is cool that is beyond cool actually but you know what that leads me to um thinking about was this conversation i had this past weekend um our generation i talked about this with um ronnie feig from kith our generation is the coolest generation. Shout out, Ronnie. Shout out, Ronnie. Our generation is the coolest generation there is. We were pre and post internet. We were young around the birth of hip hop, the birth of Michael Jordan. The entire tech revolution in terms of not just the internet, but like cell phone, but knowing what a color TV, black and white TV, radio, CD, vinyl is like, like... The idea that that was so prevalent in our life and then streaming is like so fluent for us. Like we understand this language. Coolest generation there is. You being young, 
only fall into this because like something's not right. You probably, you really are older. You might, you might be older, but you are younger by age. So I feel like you can understand it a bit. No, nah, I'm like, that's a fire concept to think about. Like, like the brands that I, the Nike, the Disney, the Apple, that's all been birthed in your generation. Like, yeah, your, your, your generation has done some shit. Yeah. And, and we, we, we saw the overlap too. Like we could speak it on both sides and we can live it and talk about it. Um, what else has changed? Obviously the pandemic's changed New York. Uh, just recently I, I, when the mass thing changed, it happened. It just happened. And I see nightlife in New York city coming back. There's excitement. Um, there's an energy around New York. I don't know what the rest of the country is like. Uh, I speak to people in LA, speak to people in Miami. Miami obviously has been cracking. Like they don't even, that don't even register. <laughs> um, but I've seen in New York right now that it's just funny because it's at least from my side, when I look at like nightlife in New York, it seems like the same people are running shit that were running shit when I was out every night. Yeah. Um, what's hot in New York right now? And you're so right about that. And they, not that they don't, but like that generation uh, between Tao and One Oak or uh, like a little, not Little Sister, Socialista, Cipriani's, like the downtown, like they run it and it's all, not to use, it's all, they're all connected. They all go to each other's spots on different nights, but the owners have you know they kill it because they create this great space this great creative like dope venues for people to go to and, and then they and, get young promoters and they get young promoters but like they the people actually come to see them just as much as they go to the place and so it's up to these people to put like a number two in charge kind of like how grutman did with purple so that somebody else can step in and carry the whole yeah mission well even if they're not there you know there's incredible partnerships and like stars in new york city nightlife and some of them have transitioned into becoming like international nightlife gurus some of them may still be new york nightlife like impresarios or whatever but it's funny because they're well known in new york and they get well known within like certain industries but outside of new york you don't know if each one of them obviously is nearly as well known but you look at like Noah Tepperberg and Jason Strauss, grew up in this generation I was talking about in New York City, went from being co-promoters to the hottest parties in high school, into college, into owning their own venues, into owning hotels, into dominating and having this monster group, the Tau Group, and being partnered with MSG. So you have that. You have Mark Birnbaum and Eugene catch steak. They used to have clubs back in the day in the city, Tenjun and a handful of places, but Catch has become this mega brand. Eugene created Rumble. These are straight entrepreneurs. Like yeah. these guys are businessmen, real business they've built. Right. Richie Akiva, Scott Sartiano. They were partners for a while. They're not partners anymore. Richie's still having a booming business. I know obviously the pandemic put his clubs down for a while, but this is somebody who has been at the center of it all since I was 16. He's probably 43. I probably aged him, though, because he probably tells people he's still 25. But this guy's been in the center of it all in every city where parties are popping and where culture is happening and, and descending on a city. Richie's been able to stop himself. That's a real businessman, 20-some-odd years. Right. And as you're pointing out, this shit doesn't happen overnight. It starts from the ground up or 
which is not this scenario, you are just naturally super, not naturally, you are super rich and then you just buy in. Yeah, but those people, but, but no one cares about those people. Nobody cares about Look those Look at what people. Jeff Zalotnik's built with Major Food Group. You know, I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't think Jeff grew up slumming it, but the guy built this himself. So yeah. there's some kids that get and have money. A lot of kids in New York City that became these big entrepreneurs had actually had some money, but go and build these empires. Jeff has one of the biggest food and hotel empires in the world now. Dave Grupman in Miami built a mega business. That's a, he's a celebrity. He's a full-on celebrity. Facts. You know, and he's, he's built this and hustled his way up. This was somebody that was promoting clubs and I was at his in hotels meeting him for New Year's bands back in the day for New Year's parties and now this is as big as you'll get in this business and a lot of those kind of tycoons I mean it feels like that's of this generation LA has these guys too you know in Miami there was uh Roman Jones another one my Mark Ronson's uh stepbrother Speaking of Mark Ronson by the way Mark and I went last week to the premiere of Anthony Bourdain's new documentary How was it bro absolutely insane i was so impacted by this doc i was able to sit next to the director and then go to dinner afterwards what they did with the restaurant after was anthony bourdain's restaurant that he was most famous for cooking at leal has been closed down for five years they reopened it in the same location there's another restaurant there and did it as like a, a you know a shopping shop for the evening and it was a celebration of him and I was able to be able to be there. I didn't know him at all. I'd met him once or twice, but I didn't know him. But I knew what a prolific storyteller he was. I knew, you know, what a kind of unique life he lived. And I didn't know anything, though, until I saw this doc. And I think people hopefully will be as moved as I was because I think everyone will have their own relationship with it. There was a lot going on in that guy's mind. He was very much a one-on-one. -on -one. I had never met anybody or, or met through a doc like this. I mean, this guy traveled 250 days of the year. There was something in the film where he had talked a little bit about how he felt like people were naturally comfortable living in other places in the world, but don't know until they travel there. And maybe there's something chemical in your body or something that you react to it, where it's amazing to think that you really could have found a whole level of happiness living in this other place in the world. And he traveled around these places all over the world and meshed himself into the culture. And when, um, I think it was the owner of the restaurant, Leal, that he cooked at, I think I'm getting this right. I may not get all the facts right. When, when Anthony Bourdain died, he was in Vietnam and that was somewhere where Anthony Bourdain had felt that he was at peace and happy. And what happened was he ended up staying there up until the point he had just came back for this premiere. And I, I mean, and Mark was able to invite me to be there for this thing. And it was really incredible, man. And I think that comes out July 16th. And it's so tough for me to lock in on anything right now. Like I watch sports, but while I'm watching sports, I'm on my phone. I'm so like just constantly consuming and it's unhealthy, but it's also part of our business. Uh, but when you find something that you really want to watch and you lock in on it, it's still the best. Like when you get a series that you like can't get enough of, when you like find one of those movies you start locking in on and you just like look up and you just watch the whole two hour movie. And this doc really like just, it really just like got me and yeah. I was locked in on it, man. That's fire, man. What do you been like, what do you, do you understand what I mean by being too much content? Because 
I, my wife and I have just it, it accepted that our 40s are going to be a generation where we don't really watch anything. Oh, completely. Like, I don't know. It's just the interface. Like, when you are consuming streaming, like, for example, Mayor of Easttown, I was watching that last week. Bomb. Fantastic, right? I finished it in, like, three days because it had all ten episodes. And then, like, today somebody mentioned it, and I completely forgot I had finished this season. So it's like... As good as something can be, the way it's consumed is part of the experience. I'm bro, I cannot focus on shit. I used to watch shows like Sopranos, Six Feet Under. I can't even think of them anymore. But like I watched Mar of East. How do you say Mar of Easttown? Mayor of Easttown. Mayor. Mayor. May oh yeah, Mayor. Mayor. I watched that. <laughs> I watched that. I probably passed out though in the middle of like two of them, and I had to like watch it later. Yeah. But I'm not even gonna lie. Over the, um, over the break, my wife and I got convinced to watch, start watching Real Housewives. I'm not even gonna play Which myself. Which Real Housewives? Bro, let me explain something to you. I won't get down with all of them, okay? But something that I was so against watching, I finally opened up to, and I think it has to do with the reaction that I, my body gets when I watch it. I know that sounds crazy, but like it's mindless. Like people say mindless TV and I'm not <laughs> knocking the people, but for the hour that I watch it, I stop thinking about everything else I could be doing, what I'm not doing, what am I going to do? What's she thinking? What's he thinking? I just watch this and listen, I hope this is not forever. I'm not uh, recommending this to everybody, mm -hmm. <laughs> but real housewives, New York and real housewives, Beverly Hills, have me stuck. I'm just glued to it. <laughs> you gotta check out Real Housewives of Atlanta. Oh, I gotta watch that one. Oh, shout out, shout out Ramona Singer, Housewives of New York. Why? Is that your homie? Uh shout out Avery Singer. Oh, that's your boy. But yo, I'm gonna be honest with you. Ramona's Ramona I mean, I wouldn't have shouted her out. That's not my favorite character, I'm just saying. Oh, I'm just shouting out Avery because I know Avery. Oh, you know Avery personally? Yeah. Oh, I thought you like watched another oh, show no, that no, Avery no, was no. on. It's just some oh. New York City shit. Oh, oh, I get it. Well, yeah, whatever. I mean, shout out Avery. But Leah and Ebony and Sonia, those are the three. I remember Sonia. Wait, does Sonia be, she, she be getting twisted on the show? I mean, they all get twisted. <laughs> but Sonia in particular? I don't think Leah gets twisted. I don't think um, another one. One of them be getting twisted on the show. Well, a lot of them get twisted on the show. That's why it's mindless and it's fun to watch. But um, I don't know, man. I think it's dope. Who and then created the Real Housewives? Like that Andy person. Andy Cohen? Is that really? It? Yeah. You know what someone said to me about Bravo this weekend? This girl, what? I'm going to shout her out. She'll never listen either. My friend Heather was um, that the Bravo world, like being into those shows and that world is in her mind no different than like me being obsessed with sports. I mean, I, I, I obviously didn't, I didn't argue it because. Mm, not to, no, I mean, I understand the comparison. Like you have your favorite characters, like you have your favorite players. Some are more talented than others. Some have actual talent. <laughs> Just being. No, yeah, you know? exactly. No, but the thing is, is like, I think what's going to happen with this show, though, is because of some of these characters that are younger now, maybe the show, like, because it's really, what's, it's the real world. Do you ever watch the real world as a kid? No, yeah, you're, you're a kid now. I mean, not a kid, but you're 26, right? 
barely. Yeah, like the, I just missed the real world. Yeah, the real world. Like, like my real world's like Jersey Shore, to be honest. But like not that I'm. I super Jersey loved, Shore. By the way, I love Jersey Shore too. I'm not Jersey gonna Shore was fire. I thought that dude. Vin, <laughs> I thought that dude Vinny Snooki was cool as shit. And and Vinny, they were the best. Yeah, funny as hell. But um, that's part of our generation. Like real world was like the beginning of reality TV. Reality TV. Same like I was saying before about yeah. like around the birth of hip hop, etc. Um, was all in this generation. I mean, reality TV came after, obviously, hip-hop. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of things in this last year have changed, bro. Like, I watched and learned an entire new business in the last year. Like, to see not just our business grow, but the emergence of the trading card space again, the emergence of NFTs, just the entire blockchain and crypto, just takeover of the conversation, the whole meme stock. All of these things in this last year that have been such like a major part of business and the conversation around business, the amount of IPOs, SPACs, just so many things that have happened. It's incredible to think about what we've lived through and to think about like where our minds were pre-pandemic. I can't even imagine what I thought. Like I, I would love to understand how I looked at certain things just 18 months ago as opposed to the way I look at them now. I have an entire new, new mindset. And I think if you came out of the pandemic with the same mindset, you got to A, check yourself because you live in a bubble. And B, you may never thrive, truly thrive. Because what the pandemic was able to do, I believe in my opinion, was just pull the wool over all of our eyes. You know, like, no, no, yeah. that doesn't make sense. So pulling the wool over their eyes would be tricking us. So like, I guess we're removing the wool from in front of the eyes. Um, <laughs> But life, is, life was fucked up. People were fucked up. Yeah. The state of our country was fucked up. And it culminated in, you know, what happened during the elections and it culminated with the pandemic. And, you know, I hope people really come through this last year and still with what, you know, we're constantly going through as a society and understand that, like, you can get really far in life being kind. You don't have to be a cutthroat, shrewd killer to be successful and to change in their career. Like, you, there's a way to instill your will and get what you want without being a dick. You don't have to look and be like, man, I could never be like that to get where I want to go. And that's not true. Um, and I also think that this is the land of opportunity. That I will say. I do, I do believe that there are so goddamn many ways to be successful and to make money period for sure and i think that so many of them were exposed just like so many holes in our country and our leadership were exposed but so many different means of of revenue and and in media and content everybody has the ability yeah to some degree i'm not like preaching i'm just being honest from my lens man and listen i got some I'm, i have i i don't understand everybody else's point of view though i have to understand that yeah i mean like throughout the pandemic i really realized what it meant to be comfortable whether it's comfortable in your situation or comfortable with yourself like when you're three months at home or however long you quarantined for for me it was just three months but when you're three months at home you have to you, that's time to look within. You know what I'm saying? It's time for you to grow, time for you to make a switch. Like, if you're not comfortable at home because you need a bigger home, that means you need to work harder. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I, that's what I took away from the pandemic. No, it's true. Listen, I think you're 100% right. I think that's a really good 
kind of epiphany in some ways and realization. I think also we have to respect the fact that that same privilege is not afforded to everybody and that, you know, we, we know that hard work can pay off. Where we know there's a problem in this world is where people that even when they work hard can't get where they got to go. Facts. And I think, you know, all we have to do is be aware of it. We have to listen and then act, you know. And I know that when you do the right thing and you're on the side of right like we are, I mean, you just got to keep doubling down on your actions and, and, and continue to, you know, support and be the person you are and be a leader. So people say like, yo, not just what's he putting on Instagram to talk about, but like what are they actually doing? Oh, yeah. shit, they're actually like giving opportunity. They're actually creating programming, you know? And I think that's part of the generation we're in, and I understand that social media is a flex-off. And I'm, that's why I have a separate Instagram where I post my kids because I, I'm not going to put that mindset that I have when I'm just posting work shit and then have it be sprinkled in with pictures of my kids because... I don't know. It's just like a different hat that I wear on my IG where I talk about work. And I even don't think I have the real voice on that. You know, I see some people, peers of mine, with these insane followings on Instagram. And I'm just not comfortable in the same way on the gram. I'm comfortable in most every other place, as you know. But for some reason on Instagram, I just don't get that, like, need to go any further than just like reposting the yeah. shit we're working on. But a lot of people tell me that's imperative to building your brand. I think I can do without it. And to your point, like it's interesting, like some of your peers or other people, like why, I mean, generally the more authentic you are on Instagram, the more engagement you are, the more appreciated, celebrated you are. But sometimes that shit is, does not look natural. That shit looks contrived and like, Speaking frankly, like I'm slightly judging you off of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, every, I mean, that's like the IG hate. Like we all feel it when you see somebody where you're like, come on, man, that ain't you. Or, you know, you ain't really with your kids all day long. You probably just picked them up and put the phone to your face like that kind of shit. But I don't get caught up in it. I've just chosen to not use that exact like means in which I'm going to be who I am. I think if anything... This pod and this actual pod in particular and the one I did with Kevin and the response that I heard from people from it is like the best thing we can really do, like we said earlier, is just speak, be authentic and speak freely. And if people want to be a part of that conversation, they will. Speaking freely, I cannot stand the Milwaukee Bucks. Why? Like, one, they beat us when we were hurt to like that general like run and dunk type play is not my favorite um, <laughs> you don't like the power game i don't like the power game uh i don't like them yeah well I, listen i don't mind them to be honest with you i mean i obviously I, there's always the psychology of like the team you like gets beat do you not root for them or do you actually root for them because then it makes the loss look like oh shit they lost to the champs I don't really care. I'm really into the NBA playoffs. And I know some people are talking about the NBA playoffs as if like, oh, well, we don't have any of the big names in here. But we do, right? Like CP, Book, Giannis, Chris Middleton, whatever. All of these guys, Drew Holiday. But NBA basketball has such an incredible impact. 
it's just like the newsletter we wrote last week about how the ratings don't really reflect the impact that the NBA is having and has. In general, I think sports ratings can no longer be kind of clearly just defined by like the Nielsen rating. That's yeah. not a real indication. But you feel it like Space Jam even, you know, like I love seeing all of this, seeing the finals, getting the seeing my man Mark and Jeff doing the commentating. Like, I just love the NBA playoffs. I'm at playoffs. I don't care who's in it. Obviously, I want KD in it. But if he's not in it, I don't care who's in it. But I just love the culture around it. Space Jam, by the way, feels bigger than the damn finals. Man. Yeah. Random question. Who do you think's better, Giannis or Kawhi Leonard? Who do I think's better? Well, I yeah. mean, they are different players. Like, look, when push came to – I don't know, honestly. I mean, I've been really impressed with Giannis in, in the playoffs. I know people are focusing on, like, his free throw shooting and – um, obviously, like counting the seconds, and he's not a good free throw shooter. He's not as fluid as KD, but what he's doing is insane. What he does, he's incredible at. I've been amazed at just how hard he goes. I was amazed at how quickly he came back from the injury and went right back into it. And also, like he surprised me with some of his skill level around the hoop. He's got to get better, clearly. But this is who he is, and I think people should appreciate Giannis for what he is, not what he isn't. I was watching ESPN this morning, and they were talking about how no one in the social orbit like talks about Giannis when he has a big game. You know, if somebody goes off mm -hmm. to see all of Twitter, be like, he's different, he's nice, style, that shit. But no one says that about Giannis, and it could be a big man thing. And that's like what you said. I don't love the power game, but you know, Kawhi is one of those special, unique guys. But I, there's a lot of them in the league right now. You know, there's a lot of them. And to your point about the ratings in the finals, like. I was watching First Take the other day, and Perk was like, there's only three. There's a lot of superstars in the NBA, but there are three megastars, and that's KD, LeBron, and Steph. And the rest are just superstars. So to your point, we have three, four superstars in there, but they ain't megastars. And my original question, who do you think is better, Kawhi or Giannis, is because I think both of them are not megastars. I think they're superstars, of course, but... You can't put them, like, the three players I mentioned, you could put them on any team, and they're, like, contenders. However, the Kawhi and Giannis, I'm not putting them there. No, but I think what, I think you, I, I get what you're saying, but the thing is, if you put Kawhi on any team, they do become competitive. If you put Giannis on any team, they do become competitive. But Megastar is that other thing. Yeah. The intangible. And that's when you won't hear, like, the finals is having a down year, or... This doesn't mean anything. But that's all bullshit, really. It's just because those three have ascended to like every casual fan knows who they are as well. So then it's a whole other level of stakes when they play. But the truth is, is like the two of them, Luca, CP, Book, Anthony Davis, Harden, Kyrie. I mean, I'm forgetting people, but like these guys are all superstars. They're all super superstars. It's just... For some reason, what happens with like megastars is there's all these little things that get added up. A lot of it is the time that they've been around, the things you've seen them go through. People have to hate you for a second, love you. No one's ever hated Steph, but Steph was not like the number one pick in the draft. He had his ankles. Everyone goes through that stuff, and all these players have to their own degree. But the three of them, it just like you play in June, you get bigger. It's all part of it, and some things you just can't necessarily put your finger on. LeBron, obviously... That's next stratosphere in terms of like people have known him since he was seven, 16 years old. You know, yeah. You gonna see Space Jam? 
For sure. Definitely. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. I mean, the marketing budget for that movie is just out of control. Yeah. You got to spend money to make money. <laughs> would you would you have advised LeBron to be a part of the movie or not be a part of the movie? Yeah, definitely. I think if you know you can create something that's great and you know that you have the team to do it and you want to do it and you're going to make it your own and they check every one of those boxes, then you got to do it. You cannot get caught up or get worried about a ghost you can't think about the they or whoever's gonna say nah you can't do michael's movie like what does that even mean it's the same thing like when someone said that kd didn't win two chips there's an asterisk there's no asterisk there's no such thing that's made up so the reality is this movie is going to be good i hope it's good i've heard it's good they did it which is crazy they made and produced and rolled out this film like so they did it already. So if you want to compare him to Mike, you really cannot please help me if these guys start putting these two films up against each other as like part of the debate. Just films have been redone and remade. People have come back and make them. This wasn't sacrilegious. I really don't think it was. I mean, I'm going to watch it. So I'm not, I'm not thinking too. I, I understand the critics, but yeah, I'm not one of them. Yeah, me either. Like, come on, man, get over it. No one cares. What no one cares. Like, just watch the fucking movie. Show, take good. your kids. They've never seen it. It's yeah, guess be what? Great. My kids are not like, yo, why is he doing Mike's film? <laughs> they don't even know. Half of the, you know, half of the audience that is going to this does not even know about the Michael Jordan Space Jam film. And by the way, I would probably go on a limb to say that the effects will probably be. <laughs> <laughs> 30 years later has got to be way better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, so yes, is, is the storyline going to be as good? I don't know. <laughs> Who cares, man? It's an animated film. Like, Facts. With NBA superstars, different era. They'll make one in 25 years probably with, with little Durant. But Hold on. But <laughs> before we start wrapping up, you've been watching any of the soccer games? Hell yeah, I watched the Copa Cup, I watched the Euro Cup. This past weekend in sports was insane. Wimbledon, all of it, man. The the dominance of those three guys, the, watching England and watching um, uh, the Brazil and Argentina. Was it Brazil yeah. and Argentina? Brazil versus yeah. Argentina. In the Copa Cup, and then Djokovic is like, listen, I'm a Federer guy. Um, who do you like? Are you a Nadal guy? I'm a Nadal guy. I used to think guys didn't like Nadal, but I think that that whole theory is not true. I've asked too many guys that like him, but I, I'm a Federer guy. I think, but Djokovic will go down probably as the best player. He's going to blow past the majors, but they all have their thing. And this era is like unmatched. Three guys dominating for this long, so elite. Federer is like the ultimate champion. Nadal is the king of clay. And Djokovic is like, he's going to be... They all have 20 wins apiece. Right now, they all have 20 majors. So why does Federer rise above them? He doesn't. Forever, he's had the most. And then in the last year, both Nadal and Djokovic have, have tied him. Up, yeah. But I think it's just that Federer always carried himself and like embodied like this champion. He has this beautiful, poetic game. And he was before them a little bit. And his run was incredible. But, you know, the last 10 years, he's been one of the best three players. But Djokovic, for the most part, has been the best player over this time. Do you you ever notice how like some of these European stars, whether it be Federer or Ronaldo, they present themselves in a in a very tight like you can't really get to know them too personally through the, what they release socially. You know, like yeah, it's hard to get a feel what they're like one on one. Yeah, well, that's a good in comparison point. to like our American stars. Yeah, that's a good point. 
I mean, I, I think it relates to Federer and, and Nadal and Djokovic for sure. I'm trying to think about who else. Ronaldo. I don't, I, I don't know Ronaldo. I feel like some of the soccer players more and more now that they've become just like these big international stars. I mean, they just have such insane social presence. I mean, man. even like Beckham, right? Beckham is a global, he, just as much an English superstar as he is an American superstar. And you know what his family and his wife look like. But still, do you really feel like you know what it's like chilling with him? I mean, maybe Beckham more than yeah. other players. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a cultural thing. But I think you're right about Federer. Um, but I also think, I, I get that a lot. People will say to me, like, man, I don't really think, I, when no one gets to know KD. And it's like, they do. Like, uh, this is what you, what more do you want to know? Yeah. Like, you know, I think sometimes people always feel like there's something on the other side of it. And it's like, he's just some human being. <laughs> it's like, we just, we just love what we love. Olympics, you lock in? Oh, yes. Uh, sometimes. Yeah, I'm going to lock in. I'm excited for the Olympics. Um, top five. Who's your top five Olympians? Uh, not in any particular order. Yeah, summer, winter. I just want to see if you know Olympians. Usain Bolt. Good one. Sean White. Good one. Phelps. Good one. Michelle Kwan. Good one. Simone Biles. Great one. I mean, they're all great. Dude, Oof. you're like an Olympian. Well, shit. That was I just surprised myself. Um, all right, man. Well, listen, end of a season, bro. It's been cool hanging with you every week it's doing this amazing. pod. Keep subscribing. Go to boardroom.tv. Listen to the et cetera's. Listen to the out of office. And also, tell me what you don't like, man. Hit me up on the gram. Hit Gianni up on the gram. Twitter. If you want to see something different next year, we're going to keep this thing going. Appreciate all the support. Appreciate all the love. Gianni. My man. My brother. Peace. Peace. <laughs>